0: On this episode of Lady Boss, we meet Dana Rebecca Gordon, who used her savvy social media skills to sparkle and scale her family's jewelry business to new heights. Dana, I think it's so wonderful to be sort of inspired by your dad, because I think you know that that was a big part of my inspiration, too. Um, What about your dad made you want to be an entrepreneur?
1: I think the the way that I grew up with just the idea that you could make your dreams happen and that... You can work hard. My dad is a perfect American dream. Um, I've learned a lot about my dad's past and where he came from. And I think it's inspired me to make sure that I always go for, you know, everything I've ever hoped for. I I grew up very differently than he did. My dad was born in the mountains of Morocco, um, escaped anti-Semitism and, you know, made his way to Israel with his family where they rebuilt their lives. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. You know, my dad had forged his path. And so I'm very inspired to be able to keep up that momentum for my family because I know how lucky we are that he, you know, paved the way for us.
0: 100%. Well, Gratitude is something that um, we can never have enough of. And I know um, you have a similar kind of business model to him. But I mean, in my view, jewelry has got to be like the hardest business to ever pick um so is that true or is that um it's actually easier than it looks and it's a great way to make a living
1: so the jewelry industry i think has really grown and there have been a lot more women who've joined the industry one of the challenges that i always experienced and heard about was that it was like the person who sold you the last line of bullshit because diamonds are something. You have to be educated on and when you look at it and you see a certificate it's very confusing and it can be overwhelming and someone can tell you another thing about um, the four c's of diamonds and grading and i wanted to simplify it i wanted people to feel like that they could sit down and trust what was coming out of our mouths and i feel very lucky that my father had built such a great reputation in the jewelry industry but I felt like women were missing really good everyday jewelry that they could change the same way you maybe would change your jacket, right? Or your handbag. And so for me, um, I really had a different model um, than my family's business because I wanted to have more everyday jewelry. I wanted you to be able to buy multiple pieces a year, where his business was you bought a pair of diamond studs for your 10th anniversary and potentially didn't buy other earrings for many years and so my mom was the perfect person because she had beautiful jewelry but didn't have a lot of a lot of different pieces to change and so we've changed that for my mom because now she gets to change her jewelry when she goes out to dinner and she gets to have more fun with her jewelry at a price point that you could self-purchase
0: right so we are a huge consumer country um and i think it was only natural we started buying as many clothes as we did and shoes that jewelry became the next fashion item so to speak um and i know you can't you're coming off a big wave of um positive growth over covid so the real short version why do you think covid met, i mean nobody's dressing up nobody was going out to dinner why did they buy so much jewelry
1: jewelry makes women feel special And I think at the end of the day, we all needed something that made us feel good. We lived in our sweats. We were living in a robe, barely leaving the house. But to be able to look down at a beautiful ring that you bought yourself, I think made women feel really good. And it's funny because our ring sales over the two-year period, 2020 all the way through 2022, were astronomical. They were the highest we've ever seen. And... It's because it was something that you could look at, whereas earrings and necklaces as a category still were growing. But when you want to celebrate yourself or feel good, you're buying yourself a bracelet or a ring. And I was talking a lot about that because you could see it on yourself. I can't see the earrings that I'm wearing right Mm. now. I could see your earrings. I could see your necklace. But I think a lot of what people wanted was to celebrate or to be proud of themselves or a milestone in their career or what or whatever it was, but they felt good in COVID. And maybe we were just like all on our computers typing and texting with our friends and you could look down at ring at your ring. But I think mm. we all were looking for something to feel good and to like jewelry just makes people feel happy is you know, it's no, not your same right. as a sweater. It but is not. the
0: other benefit you have is that you don't have sizing issues, really. I that, mean,
1: that that it that that can be true. I mean, sometimes your rings your, your don't range. fit you. Yeah. I sometimes my rings don't go on in the morning because I'm swollen. Um, that is true. I think people also had money to spend because yeah. they weren't taking a trip or you know, there was a lot of canceled plans. But I also think um for our business specifically, when COVID happened and I suddenly became a full-time mom without any help at home, um, I started sharing my life. I started sharing who I was. And I think people started to be like, we never really knew who Dana Rebecca was behind the camera. And I started sharing my life as a mom and the struggles of being a mom and being very open and vulnerable and honest. And I think it changed our business also because we realized that there was a community of other women that wanted to see that like it wasn't so glamorous and glossy and that when I had a struggle you know at work I shared it or when there were issues with my children or whatever it was and in COVID it was really when I like turned the camera on myself to show what it was like to be in a family business to work with your father to share all of this you know, the truth. Release. Yep. And it really like completely changed our business. So I think there's a couple of things that happened in COVID, but I think specifically from a business perspective, I think me showing who I was as a person and my family and working in a factory and all of like my life it really did make an impact on
0: the business. Okay. So that's um your marketing, your social media, maybe even your own team. You Um, We're more vulnerable you, you know shared the good and the bad and the ugly which I really appreciate about you Um, Because I think entrepreneurship is you know looks one way a lot of times online You know people with their cars and their toys and their jewelry after they've won a big deal But nobody, not a lot, unless you're doing it, really realizes the blood, sweat, and tears to get to the cars and the jewelry and the trophy. So what kind of things do you think your team was surprised to know about you during that time? Your team specifically, that maybe you had, you know, held
1: the shield down? I am super vulnerable with my team. I definitely, I I think I give sort of I can potentially give an error that I don't care, but I think what I, what my team has learned a lot about me is how personal everything is. I'm really good at disconnecting, um, you know, like customer service issues. I remember at the beginning of my career, somebody being upset would eat me alive. I wouldn't sleep for days. And now I've gotten to a point where I've seen someone berating a, an employee of mine and I'm like, My hands are on their shoulder and I'm like, it's okay. We're going to be okay. Like, don't get upset about it. And I know that feeling from them. I think, you know, sometimes they seem even like, you know, my, I don't give a shit attitude. I do give a lot of shits, you know, like I actually really, really care. But the way I've learned to sort of change that care from like eating me alive inside to sort of pushing me forward to say like, how do we be better for that customer, right? Like, of course, there's the person who you just can't, you can't help them under any circumstance. But I think that they probably got to learn a little bit more about my vulnerabilities and just truly how much I do care. But the way that I've really in my career in 16 years changed how it makes me want to lead. Also, it makes, how it makes me want to grow the business. Um, I think they've also gotten to watch me be a mom which pre-COVID I would say I was involved in my kids life for sure but I got to change the way that I thought like being a present mom was like I would always say like I might have read my kids a book and then walked out the door and been like I have no idea what that book was about because I was so focused on what was happening in my in what happened to my day right because I got home at six and then bedtime and now I feel like COVID got me to slow down. It got me to like be present. And when they're telling me a funny story, I'm so in the story. And so I think they've seen like vulnerability from a work perspective, from a mom perspective, and they've got to see me flex who I want to be. And I think that that ability to sort of share that has probably been more interesting to them. Uh, But I'm also like super snarky and, you know, self-deprecating at times. And I swear a lot and I genuinely I care what people think but I am who I am and I will never change that it's a little bit of the Moroccan in me yeah and I'm proud of it and so I think a lot of people want to shape themselves for what someone expects who they should be crowdsourcing their identity I couldn't care less cool um
0: so how do you measure so is the jewelry business profitable it is yes and your business specifically, is profit year-over-year year a metric that you focus on? Absolutely. And why?
1: I have a lot of people on my team. I'm 39 years old. I started my first company in collection at 16. I you know, want to build a business that's successful, that can support a lot of families. Um, I, I guess my question is, why have a business that isn't successful?
0: I define success as EBITDA, but there's lots of people I talk to, one of the successes, not only, but I think there are a lot of people, especially in today's world, where they're private equity-backed, where they don't maybe have the same gun to their head and they're growing for a future return. But I I am just a massive proponent of you know you're successful if your EBITDA year-over-year is increasing, period. There's no other excuses. I mean, I just don't really... I don't think as the leaders, we have to take excuses out of the game. So how do you stay accountable to yourself and to your team to make sure on years where you have, you know, jewelry that has a quality issue or customer issues or whatever happens that can eat up profitability in your world? How do you keep yourself accountable to make sure that you end up with the right results?
1: Well, first of all, I surround myself with really smart people who can help me do that. I don't do that on my own. I have learned to step into what I'm best at, which is the creative side of the business. I think I differentiate myself from a lot of creatives in that I do care about the business. I don't I would never say, "Well, that piece of jewelry is so beautiful, but it hasn't sold." I'm like, "If it hasn't sold, there's a reason it hasn't sold. Let's move on." Where I think some of my de- designer friends are like, "People haven't figured it out yet." I'm like, "Well, I I don't know, like, you know, like, like (laughs) if it hasn't sold, like the writing's on the wall. Um, I have, I came from a family business background that um, manufactured jewelry. And so I have been really smart in terms of like who I've partnered with, but I've also been very conscious from a price point perspective that we've been able to sort of weather storms of different, you know, economic times because our price point is really vast um, so I think we've had some, obviously, like we talked about earlier, successes in the COVID years. I think it's been a more challenging year this year, but I think we've seen a lot of our return back to like the, our our bread and butter basic price point, which is what the business was known for pre-COVID too. That we're sort of stepping back into because people are spending less, but that's such an important price point for us. But I surround myself with people who make me want to be better, right? And I have never been motivated by money, but I am motivated to grow. I'm motivated to see the business change and develop. We've had a lot of interest from investors. And at the end of the day, I like working for myself. I don't want to report to anybody. Um, I think the business is in a great, slow and steady pace and that's good for me right i think there are a lot of businesses that they want to see year over year x amount of growth we are continuing to grow at a great pace self-funded and i think for me that slow and steady like world and mindset has been just what i need i can't imagine having investors or having a push for different you know well let's pick the scab a little on that because
0: you know, I could just from an outsider, don't know a thing about jewelry other than I like it and, you know, buy lots of little trinkets and stuff, but I don't, I look like on Instagram and I see these people, Melinda, and I, I can name a lot of people. I told you, I have a friend that's in the business in, ju- in high school. And while, um, you know, everything you're saying, I believe, you know, is great. And I think that you have set yourself up for choices. Have you ever really considered why you wouldn't sell this model of Dana Rebecca and start something different at 39 and here's why here's just like a thing to think about um you know yeah you built this business is profitable year over year awesome that gives you opportunity but the business is going to get harder you're going to have to decide you're going to go into a broader line or a lifestyle or put it in retail more than you have or sell globally or or you know because at some point it just seems as if there's so much competition. Yep. Like how do you differentiate so when a lot of times it's the twenty-three year old influencer on, you know, maybe you know, you're not old, obviously, but like your market, you know, you might be wanting to sell That's to right. younger people and now you're getting in your forties. So sometimes I like people to just think about have you ever thought about taking those meetings, seeing well what would your company rolled into somebody else's jewelry company as a fashion brand where they can take out costs leverage things take out the back room and make it profitable and you starting something something else with this massive nest egg
1: right yeah i've never i would never turn away a conversation i think we've i've had a lot of really awesome conversations um i think it's just it depends at the time in life yeah um but yeah i would never shy away from learning more about that opportunity um i still think that there's more to do with this brand currently myself um but you know time will tell
0: well, let me just, just plant the seed. So I had a visual merchandising business in two thousand six and seven. We serviced people like Victoria's Secret, Club Monaco, Ralph Lauren, top brands who were growing twenty to fifty stores a year and needed what we produced. Okay, they had risers and custom tablecloths and trees. <clears throat> and do you remember do you remember what happened in two thousand eight? course I okay. started Dana Rebecca in 2007 okay yeah <clears throat> so we hit massive headwinds and let me tell you something nobody was changing the tablecloth in retail they were all trying to stay open well I've been through a lot of recessionary periods in my career but never as an owner mm-hmm. and I was like wow nobody's going to be buying seasonal custom decor for retailers when we have a massive recession on our hands so I pivoted and I started leaning back on my packaging Experience and got us into Amazon and some big e commerce where we could use that business that could grow because then e commerce got big and stores got smaller. And then I got the knock on the door in 2011 about the company, you know, a, a real serious, very vested acquirer being interested in buying. And I had always planned to sell, but here was my logic I could see serious headwinds in retail. I didn't know. That we were all going to start shopping online i did not know malls were going to go out of it i didn't know anything like that i had the feeling and i saw my habits changing and to be 39 or you know 40 something early 40s when i was and to have basically secured our future allowed me to go okay what do i really want to do now well it turns out i didn't want to work for anybody like you're saying i was in a public company i was some big shot with you know lots of people reporting to me not what I am into. I like building stuff. Yeah. I'm like a builder. I want to start forest fires where I see opportunity and where customers have problems, fix problems, and start companies. So I went back into entrepreneurship and doing what I'm doing today. So I just think that a lot of times there's a timing to everything. Sure. And I love when people are thinking like 10 years down the road, you know, like not knowing what you're gonna be doing, but do you see yourself running? Dane, rebecca in 10 years and what would that look like and you know what what other markets would you have to be on and what other things would you have to be on or are you going to be on this flywheel of i've got to continue to do a new collection and launch a new collection and get my same people to buy more and so have you thought about any of? and that's sort of to me why i thought a really good forum for you would be like a a business group yes
1: absolutely i think that that's for me Something that is on my mind is really getting myself out of the business from a day to day perspective and more into a place of getting to talk more about what happens in the next five years or the next 10. Because I do feel like a part of me is really stuck in the next collection, the next year, the next holiday, the next sort of like business yearly milestone, that it would be nice to be able to spend more time thinking about what the future looks like for me and my family. My brother and my sister are both my partners. I'm the youngest of the three of us. It is my name. They joined the business. But we have the most amazing partnership. And the one thing that I know is that wherever the next five, ten years leads us, I think we've built this really awesome trio Um I think that if if I were to just guess the next thing, it wouldn't have my name in it. It's been probably one of the bigger challenges is being able to separate myself from my business which is named after me, but I love that my brother sister and I who are all so unique in our own way and you know have had yeah, you know, obviously raised under the same roof but are so different and are business sense is such a great compliment that I hope truly that that next thing is still us together because it's been such a joy to work with my siblings coming from so many awful family business stories. I think we haven't even tapped together the cool things that we could do. Do you as have a family. partnership agreement? Yes. Oh, smart girl. Okay.
0: Yeah. Now I feel better. Yes. I, 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 um, have a personal experience with that and um I think it to me is where families go really wrong and absolutely and and the workers say your brother and sister I don't know if they're partners or whatever but like the worker not asking for that creates unclarity so I am so happy to hear that you have an agreement because then your family will be intact regardless of what happens with your business yeah that's good
1: we all have really distinct parts of the business too Um, and I think that that's also part of the success is that we don't, there isn't, there's, we stay in our lanes because we all have such different experience or understanding of that segment of our business. And so it's really special. I think it'd be, it's really interesting from people who grew up, who know us that we have this family business and how successful it is together. Also working with our dad, We do produce a lot of our jewelry inside of his factory, but our businesses are absolutely separated. But I just think that it's such a like unique story for us that, you know, my sister and I were five years apart. I was always her little sister. You know, we had those like struggles as kids. And in our 20s, we developed this like amazing relationship that I think if you knew us back then and you're like how are they they're so close yep. and they run a business together it really is like the happiest part of my day is getting to work with them because i there's so much respect and love um that it's like it's it's great i just think that
0: especially because you're 39 like you are going to wake up when you hit 40 and realize holy fuck this is like a short ride it's just happened to me and then was worse at 50 and fifty. like, you're just like, and then people start, your people start dying. Like I have, and you're like, Oh my God, I got to get my shit done. So like this idea, like, Oh, it's great. And it's okay. We got to just pick this gap. We got to get a little fire under your ass about some of that, because I think that like this world we are living, this business climate is not complacent. This business climate is rolling. So I'm not looking at your business or you as a business person saying I see headwinds because I know a thing about how you run your business. I'm sure you're an awesome CEO. What I'm saying is you sound like you don't have a plan. And I know because I was in Vistage being held accountable by those people, whether I wanted a plan or didn't have a plan. I was shown because I saw people without a plan and I saw what happened to their businesses.
1: And you never think it can be you. Right. I wouldn't say that I don't have a plan. I just am not. I'm definitely more present. And I think that maybe that's, that could be a problem that I'm living for now. But I also think that there's been substantial changes from COVID that I'm sort of riding that roller coaster of big change, right? Because we went through some drastic growth that we probably wouldn't have seen for many, many years to sort of seeing like leveling out. So yeah. remember now our data doesn't, our data for the last three years seems really bleak, but compared if you take out COVID years, we're still growing, but we have to sort of recalibrate. And so it might seem like I don't have a plan, but I'm really focused on sort of turning the turning the times around and trying to figure out where our best ways to grow our business are. We are in a lot of different segments of the jewelry industry. So we have... Nordstrom, which is our largest retailer and our only department store that we chose to be exclusive with. We're in independent jewelry stores around the country and in the UK, but we also have an extremely successful web business that over COVID has really grown. I've spent a lot of time working on how to build a website that makes people feel like immersed in the experience because shopping online is so like it's we're used to Amazon which isn't pretty and it isn't it's not not user friendly but it's very like simplified jewelry is so hard to shop for online so we're working on more um, you know virtual try-ons and how to sort of bring the customer into the experience and so a lot of where i see our growth is working on our dot com and it doesn't mean that i want to be direct to consumer but i think it's also really important to be able to speak have a website that can speak to all of those different segments of your business. Our biggest growth opportunity is our bridal um, side of our business, engagement rings, wedding bands. We have a really large diamond inventory and we've really taken 2023 as a year to step into that, to put it online. It's always felt like something that feels a little custom because everyone thinks like I'm going to change my ring. But then when it comes down to it, so many people want solitaires with beautiful diamonds and they want to feel good about where they purchased from. So a lot of sort of what we're working on in the next couple of years is how to bridge that gap between what you can say when you sit down with a bridal associate and you sit down and talk where a lot of people don't want to talk to anybody, but they want to learn it in person and buy an engagement ring online. So how do you meet the customer in a place that they felt mm-hmm. like I got pulled in and I feel good and I can you know express it. So our business is really, really spread out across through a lot of diverse types. channels. Diverse yeah. channels. That we're learning to like figure out how to rein it in and focus on the t- on the things that are really important, which our bridal business is huge, and it just needs to be something that we like put our feet on the ground and put a stake in the ground for. So something you just said, maybe like of all the places to step into, like while I
0: understand the price point so high on engagement um, without retail, that sounds like the absolute hardest thing to tackle online, is that not? People will buy engagement rings
1: online. Sell an engagement ring on Instagram, wedding bands, through direct message. Wow. We're meeting customers today where they are, and everyone is in a different place. Um, There's always going to be people who are going to need to come in, but our, our home base is Chicago. We have a New York showroom as well. We see clients all the time, but there are people who live in Texas who can't make the trip up, so we do a lot of virtual appointments. We are constantly talking to our clients through you know, Zoom, FaceTime, whatever, or just text message. So we do have to meet the customer where they are in a lot of different places. And to be a national brand does mean that you have to figure out what all those channels are. Um, But a a vast majority of our engagement ring business is not people who are local.
0: Wow. That cool. Fun fact. Uh, All right. Well, if you close your eyes and look out five years, um, what does Dana and Rebecca look like?
1: I think that there's some more collaborations Mm -hmm. um, that I think would be really beneficial for the business from a bridal perspective. I think that's something, um, you know, could be with a bigger retailer with our name on it. Um, You know, I've thought about licensing. I think that there is a lot of growth for us, like I said, in the bridal segment of the business. But again, it's getting down to like, what do people want to know? What do people want to learn and really simplifying it? Because I think the space is really noisy. We now have lab grown diamonds that have entered the space, which is complicated a lot. Yeah. And so again, it's a lot of it is coming back to center of what is most important for our business. We have not stepped into lab grown diamonds. We will stay, stick with natural earth mined diamonds. And okay. I have for sure put my, you know, that is, that will never change. And I think a lot of people are like, she's going to eventually do it. I am not going to do it. But I do think that there is an opportunity for me to use the name in a little bit of a different way.
0: That's fun. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Dana, this is really fascinating. I loved really the focus on coming from a family business and creating a family business and the part about, um, you know, all the opportunities that you have ahead while balancing being present. I think that That's something that you should be proud of. Certainly all of us through COVID learned a different lesson and being a more present, you know, business person, mom, wife is something that you um, will never, never, never regret. So I appreciate the time. Uh, I wish you all the best luck at Dana Rebecca. And can't wait to see the big bridal next.
1: Thank you.